Hey everyone, it's Stephanie from True Crime Anonymous. I just want to tell you about this app called Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it is the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It is free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, and it is everything you need in a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app today or go to anchor.fm to get started. True Crime Anonymous may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Hey all my true crime addicts. My name is Stephanie and welcome to True Crime Anonymous. We are on our second episode today and just wanted to say thank you for your support during this first episode that I did. It was tough and it was horrible, but you guys seem to enjoy it. And we are going to tell a story of the Brendels. But today, it's not only me, I also have a partner in true crime today, and she is laying on my couch like I'm the therapist and she's the patient. Her name is Miss Janice Kelly. Can you say hello? you heard that but she said that she sucks and she hates me she hates me a lot (laughs) I don't even think I introduced myself in the last episode but hi I'm Stephanie and over there on my couch that is Janice and she will be with me on most of the episodes just listening and chiming in once in a while like she does all the time. Yeah, I need two cents. That's why, since I'm broke and I need more than two cents, so you guys should become supporters. If you nice segue. Right, that was great. That was really good. Um, if you are on Spotify and are listening from Spotify, go into the introduction and become a supporter, not just a follower. Um, There are three levels of support at this time. There are 99 cents, 4.99 or 5.99, I believe, and 9.99. And if you become a supporter, I will love you a long time. But enough of this crap. Today we are going to be talking about the Brendel family. And some of you might remember this if you are from the New England area. And 
I don't remember it because I was little. So yeah, just saying, I'm not old. But some of you might remember this case. 1991. She's old, not me. <laughs> oh my God, I was six. I was, oh, I just gave away my age. God. just kidding I was like six months <laughs> okay anyway the Brendel family so we are actually going to start our story in the year 1988 and the Brendel family at this time which consisted of um, Ernest Brendel which is the husband Alice Brendel, who is the wife, and they had a beautiful little young um, Emily, who was eight, and they lived in New York City, so they're living this fast, crazy life. Um, he's He works on Wall Street, and she works at the New York Public Library, and they, like, literally had no time for the kid Look at me, I'm like, the kid. The kid. Whatever. Emily. They had no time for little Emily, and they really felt guilty about it. They were, you know, so in love with each other, and they really loved their daughter, and they really just wanted to slow down and, you know, be a family and and just spend more time with each other. And living in New York City, it's kind of, like, impossible like New York City I picture like just that like working on Wall Street like high like fast paced like the, right like the nanny taking care of the kid you know so they moved to Barrington Rhode Island and if you're not familiar with Barrington Rhode Island or you know Rhode Island at all. Barrington is like an upper middle class, I would say. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Um, it's a nice town. It's just totally opposite of New York City. And so they move into this beautiful white house, like, just like the typical, like, what you think of, like, the American dream. Like, yeah, like the white picket fence, beautiful neighborhood, you know, like, just so perfect. And he kind of, he was a, um, a patent lawyer and he, he took time away from that and kind of just focused on, um, you know, being a husband and a dad. And, um, he wanted to start a business. So we kind of focused on those things, family and starting a business. And Alice, the wife, she got a job at Brown University in the library. And, you know, Emily's eight, so she's going to school. And from what I can, you know, from what I researched, she transitioned well. Everything went good. She was an outstanding student, so no problems there. Um, Every single day, Ernest would drive Alice to work and then he would bring Emily to school like walk her to school 
I think he actually walks her to school first and then brings Alice to school, but whatever. Um, And then, you know, when he drops Emily off, after, you know, he walks her to school, he gives her a kiss and walks home and does his little business thing. And in 1989, he ends up meeting a man named Christopher Hightower. And Hightower was, you know, a pretty prominent man in the Barrington community. He was a youth soccer coach. He worked at the, uh, he was a Sunday school teacher. He also counseled troubled teens. He had, um, he was a doctoral candidate in medicine and started an investment firm. He really kind of had a good life. He also had a wife and two young sons. I mean, the only thing that probably sucked about his life was that he lived with his in-laws. I mean, that's gonna suck. But, (laughs) I mean, things could be worse, right? Uh, So, these two guys, they kind of develop a friendship. I mean, they live right down the street from each other. And they kind of, you know, after probably like a few barbecues and beers, they decide that they want to um, do business things together. Which, you know, they always say, don't mix business and pleasure. It, it doesn't go well usually. I mean, and if it does, great. But, um, so they agreed that Hightower would become Brendel's investment broker and manage his $15,000 commodities account. But, like I said, it doesn't usually go so well, and it didn't. For two years, Brendel failed to make a profit. And, you know, by the spring, you know, after those two years, he was just fed up with Hightower. Like, he was just fed up. And on May 1st of, it was like 91, you know, he accused Hightower of falsifying his trade record and kind of like demanded a refund of his initial investment plus $2,000 that he loaned him for like computer equipment for his business or whatever. And, you know, he didn't give it back. He, you know, so not good. So in July, two months two months later, Brendel actually filed a formal compl- a formal complaint with um, Rhode Island CFTC, which like basically said Hightower had two months to respond to Brendel's charge or pay the money back. Like either make an agreement or just give the money back. And he did neither. He did nothing. Hightower did nothing. And on September 17th of that year, 1991, um, his business computers were seized, like, repossessed, uh, and now his trading license was in jeopardy. Like, everything's falling apart. And not just on the business side, you know, his wife kind of, like, wants a divorce. You know, she's not happy with him either. And so he goes home that day, you know, so upset about this whole business thing and his computer's getting repossessed and everything. 
and he goes and <laughs> he goes and tells his wife that he paid five grand to have her killed and what? yeah and he paid an extra thousand dollars to make it look like an accident oh my god imagine like your husband coming in and be like hey you know what like i'm i'm i, I just gotta tell you like i just paid somebody five grand to kill you and i kind of gave him like a little you know an extra an extra thousand just to like make it look like an accident because i really need that insurance money and f your life you know <laughs> oh um so she's like um yeah sure like awesome cool you know let's go upstairs and make out <laughs> but no two days later he was served with a restraining order and it said you know stay away from her and stay away from the kids why didn't she file charges against him for solicitation I don't know. I, I, I honestly don't know. Right. Right, and then we would not have a story to tell. Right. So, thank you to Christopher Hightower's wife, I guess. Um, so, that day he gets the restraining order, like he breaks even more. And <laughs> he drives to Seekonk, Massachusetts, which isn't that far from Barrington, and goes and buys a crossbow and, like, six metal arrows to go with it. Like, cool. <laughs> Especially when he's in, like, the middle of, like, this psychotic break. So... He does that. But I guess it's easier than buying a gun, right? Apparently, because, you know, I, I would assume so. So, that was on September 17th, I think. And so, September 20th was just like a normal day for the Brendels. Ernest, um drives his wife to work just like usual gives her a kiss goodbye and then he walks emily to school and sends her off with that kiss and little did he know that would be the last kiss that he would ever be able to give his daughter and that is actually the last time police can confirm his whereabouts yes and so he is now missing and Emily, you know, she's at school and Hightower actually tries to pick her up from school but they say no. And then so she goes to her after school program at the YMCA and he tries to pick her up from there and they say no. But he so he goes and to a payphone because I don't think they had cell phones back then. So he goes to a phone and he calls pretending to be Ernest Brendel saying, I need Christopher Hightower to pick up Emily Brendel because I'm stuck in a meeting, but I'm gonna give him my license, um, you know, to prove to you that, you know, this is okay. 
And so Hightower walks in there with Brendel's license and says, you know, um, I believe he called and he gave me this to show you that, like, to prove that, you know, he called and he gave me this and that it's okay to pick up his daughter. And they let Emily go with Christopher Hightower. They let her go. That's the last scene we have. So he takes Emily and he brings her back to the house and brings her back to her house and you know I think maybe at this point she's like wondering where you know her dad is but during that day Hightower had been busy he actually had waited in that garage of the Brendel's home while he was bringing Alice to work and walking, you know, walking his daughter to school. And so... So he lied in wait in the garage the whole time? So. Yes. Wow. So when he pulled back in that driveway and went into his garage... Christopher Hightower is in the garage with the bow and arrow and keeps shooting him. Bing, bing. You know, it's hitting him, hitting him. Not Nothing, it's not killing him, you know? One's going to his chest and one's going here and he's trying to escape, you know? And he, he shoots five arrows at him. And it just almost kills him, but doesn't. So he just grabs a crowbar that was in the garage and just bump, whacks him over the head and opens the trunk to the car and puts him in there. So he was driving, you know, when he picked up Emily from school, you know, her dad was dead in the trunk. Um, Awful, awful things. So when, you know, he picks her up from school he brings her home now every day Ernest would pick Alice up at the bus stop at 6 but he did not that day and she thought that was really weird because he did it every single day so she walks home to find Christopher Hightower with his daughter I mean with her daughter and he basically holds them hostage in their own home and keeps them alive overnight. And the last time that the family or is ever heard from, at least Alice is ever heard from, is on Saturday morning when she calls a family friend and says, Hi, it's Alice. Um, you know, Ernest is really not feeling good and he can't make it to the planned trip. He had planned to go on a trip with some friends to Yale for football. Like, that's a huge thing, you know. Um, And she calls and says, you know, he's sick. He can't come. And that is the last time that any of the family members are ever heard from. And, um... After that is when he actually strangles 
her, Alice, with her own scarf that she had and actually doesn't kill Emily right away. He puts Alice dead into the car and puts Emily into the car alive, drives to a location that, you know, he had, you know, decided and he had already dug the graves, two graves. So he opens the trunk and he throws, you know, he gets out um, Ernest and he, you know, plops him in the grave. And then he, no, my mistake, sorry, let's back up. He takes Emily first and he puts her alive in the grave. She's still alive. She's still alive, but she's a little drugged. Like, he had drugged her to make her a little sleepy. But she's... And he choked her with the scarf? He, no, he choked Alice with the scarf. Oh, sorry. The mom. Yeah. She's um, dead. She's dead. Okay. And he had drugged Emily. Wow. Um, so she's a little... eight-year-old girl. Yes, the little eight-year-old girl. He drugs her. And but she's still alive when you know he is. When he puts her in the ground. He puts her alive. in the ground alive, and then throws her. Oh, don't tell me. She, he throws dead her dead father on top of her, and, oh. and then buries the, those two in the ground, and then puts the Alice. This child. Put Alice. Yes, oh it, it's unimaginable. It is sick. You know, this poor girl died in the ground with her dead father on top oh of her and her dead mother in the grave next to her. That's just horrifying. So he, you know, puts all the dirt back on the graves and then goes and has a good nap. I don't know. She just goes about her business. Yeah, so the next day is Sunday. Sunday afternoon, he does something really odd. He drives to Brendel's car with blood-soaked back seats, and and the trunk is all bloody, and there's there's all this stuff in the car. And he drives from Barrington, Rhode Island, to Connecticut, to the Ernest Brendel's sister's house. So the guy he just killed, yeah. he goes to her sister, I mean his sister, yeah. Christ, her name is Christine, she lives in Connecticut, and he goes to her house, <laughs> you'll see, he bangs on her door, and she's like, hi, <laughs> who are you, and he's like, I need to talk to you right now, and she's like, listen, I am in the middle of a dinner party, oh. like, please excuse me, but um, if you really do need to talk to me like you need to come back in a little while um so wherever he went he waits and comes back when she said to come back and he tells her this insane story for like five hours he was there five hours like this lady must have been horrified um he was like listen your brother 
your sister-in-law and your niece, right, niece, have been kidnapped. My wife and my two sons have also been kidnapped. They want $300,000 for a ransom, but I got 225 of it. I need you to give me $75,000 or they're going to kill everybody. They have already hurt your brother. I got proof. You know, come outside. I'm going to show you the trunk of this car. And so she goes outside and... You know, he pops the trunk and she sees all the blood and stuff. And he's like, see? And she's like, what in the world? Like, this can't, this cannot, this cannot be true. And he's like, you really don't believe me? Like, they gave me his license. And and then he kind of like takes two rings that were earnest and he kind of slides them across the table and he's like recognize these he he pulled those off his fingers you know and yeah and um she's like well why don't you just give me a little bit i'll try to get up the money let me let me take a picture of you so she takes a picture of him smart lady yeah she's and for he let her like yeah he's a real he's like smile so she takes a picture of him and he leaves without the money and right away she calls like the FBI because and you had asked me like why the FBI and like I thought about that and I'm like this like she really thought like the well she I don't think she really thought but this involves ransom and and like it was like the Chinese mafia or something he had said did this you know so with all these things involved like she she really like thought something huge had happened or is going to happen and I think she thought maybe it was beyond the police and maybe she did call the police but the reports say that like everything all the research that I've done say that you know she contacted the FBI I guess which is smart um so there you know the police are now looking for him and he is pulled over like three days later he's still driving the car around in town like i said especially in barrington He's driving the car around, you know, and so, like, people have noticed by now, like, this family is missing, and things start to, like, gather at the end of their driveway, like, you know, um, candles and pumpkins, you know, it's like that time of year, it's... So people are starting to notice that they're gone and he gets pulled over and he gets pulled over and where's my money? Three days later by the police 
and what they find in the car is crazy inside this car they find four teeth the crossbow a sawed-off shotgun the back seat completely stained with blood also the trunk completely stained with blood in an empty 50 pound bag of lime lime is used to accelerate the decomposition of bodies like there's not much else that he's using this for you know most likely and the police are just like oh my god and they bring him you know they arrest him and bring him to the ACI in Cranston Rhode Island and he just remained silent and refused to talk and while Hightower is sitting in prison silent and refusing to talk people are looking for the Brendels you know they were not going not you know they were people were noticing that they were missing and there were search parties with dogs they searched with helicopters they had multiple search parties with no success and you know as time is going on people are you know they're putting potted plants and flowers and carved pumpkins and cards that you know one read please be safe we care about you people really loved this family they were a real genuine family people really loved them they searched and searched and as time went on people just started losing hope that they would ever be found alive police kept trying to question Hightower but he really wasn't talking but you know investigators could piece together that he was a man whose business was falling apart his marriage was falling apart everything was falling apart and they saw how furious he was with Brendel for a business deal and they just needed to find more evidence and they called this quote a reverse case and said that normally we have a victim now we have a suspect but not the bodies and they wouldn't have the bodies for another six weeks but six weeks later in November someone was walking in the woods and actually saw an arm or like um, an arm in the hand sort of sticking out of the ground and called they immediately called the police and the police came and it was the graves that he had dug for the Brendels and finally 
After a long six weeks, they were found. The searches had spread out, I mean, all over southern New England, and they really looked all over the place. But where they were found, the police dogs had actually been over this area not once, but twice. People were basically like walking right over it. And it was just by some sort of divine intervention that somebody walked by that day and an arm just happened to be sticking out. And on November 7th, 1991, they were finally found. The gravesite was actually less than a half a mile from the Brendel's home and only a block away from Primrose Hill Elementary School where Emily went to school. This was shocking to the people of Barrington. And although the bodies, you know, weren't identified right away, under the circumstances, everybody already knew who they were and indeed it ended up being the Brendel family but police brought in a backhoe a dump truck and a mobile crime scene lab to the graves around noontime on November 7th 1991 and put up a dark colored military tent over the graves as they went to work and the media ended up showing up and hundreds of passerbys came through and eventually started a vigil along Middle Highway when the work was being done just to say prayers for the Brendels and everyone was just horrified at what was being unfolded but uh, they were also relieved that they were finally at peace so the evidence finally comes back and they find Christopher Hightower's blood all over the car as well Um, the teeth in the car that Christopher Hightower was driving belonged to Ernest and all of the evidence led to Christopher Hightower being charged with three counts of first degree murder and he would go and have a trial The trial lasted about six weeks, and during this trial, you know, Hightower actually got on the stand, and his defense was absolutely crazy. He said that Brendel was mixed up in the heroin trade, and that Asian gang members killed the family over the missing millions during this, and it just, it all sounded so crazy. 
and he oh, he said the mobsters forced him to bury the bodies or that they would kill his wife and his two sons if he didn't but then I remembered well didn't he tell his wife that he had already paid somebody to kill her and even paid an extra thousand to make it look like an accident so if someone is saying you need to bury these bodies or I'm gonna kill your wife wouldn't you be like well I'm not doing it because I already paid somebody to kill my wife like come on like does that 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 doesn't even make any sense and Hightower's lawyer, Robert George, called a psychologist to the stand. And the psychologist says that Hightower is a paranoid schizophrenic. He shouldn't be held responsible for his actions. He didn't know what he was doing. He's basically crazy. And maybe he might be crazy, but he definitely should be held accountable for his actions but another thing that happened is that Ernest Brendel's mom she was 82 years old she actually ended up dying during the second week of the trial from a heart attack she literally was under so much stress that she ended up passing away and Brendel's sister was like really upset naturally and basically told Hightower that you know he had claimed another body you know he had not taken not only taken her brother her sister-in-law and her niece but also her mother as well literally wiped out her whole family it was just so sad Brendel so after the trial is done the jury goes back to deliberate and the jurors took less than six hours to convict Christopher Hightower. He was given three life sentences to be served consecutively. And he was also charged with eight other things, including forging Brendel's name on two checks and illegally burying bodies after they were killed. He was never going to get out of prison and he got exactly what he deserved and should in my mind have gotten worse but the justice system did its job and he was sent to the ACI in the high security unit and one month after he was sent there he was attacked and hurt so badly that he had to get a bunch of stitches and they ended up transferring him to menard correctional facility in illinois and that is where he is today and that is it for episode number two 
I really hope I did a better job today. And I hope you were able to listen until the end and are happy that this one has a better conclusion than the other one. And I hope that you guys will stick around for the next one. Make sure you follow us on Spotify and also click the link in the description and become a supporter. And also send us an email at truecrimeanonymous at yahoo.com in the introduction to this podcast I had said at gmail.com but the correct email address is truecrimeanonymous at yahoo.com also find us on Facebook at True Crime Anonymous and I am working on getting us up on more podcast platforms and other forms of social media so please just give us a like on Facebook Follow us on Spotify and become a supporter. And I will be uploading again soon. I hope you all have a wonderful weekend.